down a long fluorescent-filled hallway in a quiet section of the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office sits a vault filled with files, files and heartbreak. More than 1,400 cold cases, their yellowing pages and aging evidence, a constant reminder that someone got away with murder. I'm Paige Kelton with Action News Jackson. We've partnered with Project Cold Case and the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office to put the spotlight on unsolved local crimes. The goal? To generate a tip that leads to an arrest, even decades later. Right now, the gunman who murdered a Brinks guard nearly 50 years ago is walking free. Action News Jack's Lorena Inkland talks about how new evidence could finally bring his daughters some justice. Brinks guard slain in a hail of gunfire. Photos show detectives at the scene. A shootout in broad daylight made headline news in the summer of 1970. These are snapshots of the day that changed the lives of Adrian Saxe and Diana Miller forever. First words was she said, they shot your dad and they killed him. Saxe was 17 years old at the time, but she'll never forget those words from her mom on June 17, 1970. Miller was 13, but the questions she had back then are the same ones she has today. Why would someone rob a Brinks truck and kill someone? You know, for what? For money? Their 43-year-old father, George Schwender, worked as a security guard to support his wife and six children. During an in-town run at the local Zares department store on Beach Boulevard, he and his partner, Harry Schenk, were ambushed by gunmen. It was a, it was a, a full blazing gun battle. It was around three in the afternoon. Schenk was coming out of the store with a bag full of checks, receipts, and some cash. Schwender was inside the armored Brinks truck. He was locked in the secured vehicle. He didn't have to open the door. According to reports, Schwender opened the truck's door, returning fire to help his partner who was critically wounded but survived. JSO Cold Case Unit Supervisor Sergeant Dan Jansen is now taking another look at the case. I have one uh, significant piece of evidence that we've discovered and uh, it appears that we still have it in our possession. It's a hat. Jansen tells me there were eight witnesses. More than one described a suspect wearing this hat. There's a strong um, possibility that we might be able to run this for some DNA and see what we come up with. JSO also has a palm print and 33 photo negatives that still need to be developed. We believe there was three. We believe there was, there was two gunmen and uh, a getaway driver. We believe the getaway driver is most likely a female. Newspaper clippings show someone was arrested and charged in the case, but later released after providing an alibi. Schwender's children have all grown up, forced to live their lives without their dad. We never saw us graduate from high school, never saw anybody got married, never saw any grandchildren. But now, this case could be closer than ever to getting solved. If they're out there and they're not in jail already for something else, they need to be put in jail. Lorena Inkland, CBS 47, Action News Jax. I know this is not easy to talk about, and it's been such a long time. So I'm glad that we're here talking about this, and I appreciate you both being willing to talk about your father and, and what happened and how your lives have been since then. So Adrian, if we could start with you, um, tell me what you remember from that day in 1970. It's amazing, you remember the smallest, smallest things. My father had managed to lock himself out of his car that day. Uh, and so he brought the Brinks truck back to the house to pick up a second set of keys. And all of us kids ran out of the house, hey dad, you know, the Brinks truck's here and we're all excited. And uh, we talked with him for a few minutes and then he said, well, I got it. I got it. I'm working. I got to get back to work. So he took the second set of keys to our station wagon back with him. And then uh, my mom and I were sitting in uh, her bedroom and she was in the rocker and we had the radio playing. And the next thing we knew, we heard a, a bulletin that said something about uh, a Brinks truck has been held up in Jacksonville. And we both looked at each other and we knew it was his truck because we knew he was on an in-town run. And usually there was only one in-town run during the day. So we knew it was him. But we figured everything was okay because nobody called. Nobody called. 
called and nobody called. And about an hour went by and still no one had called. And then the, the office called and uh, someone sent my, someone was sent to get my mother because we only had one car. And I don't remember how she got to the hospital, uh, but she did. By the time she got there, he was still alive, but he died very quickly afterwards. She was home by about 6.30 or so in the evening, and uh, my dad's uh, boss uh, brought her back to the house, and uh, the first thing she said when she got out of the car, I didn't even, I didn't even have to listen to what she was going to say. I knew what she was going to say. If he was alive, she would have still been at the hospital. And the first words was she said, they shot your dad and they killed him. Words you'll never forget. Exactly. How old were you? I had just turned 17 about six weeks before. So very, very young. And I was the oldest of six children. Of uh, six children? Yes. Wow. Uh, my youngest brother was only nine years old. Mm. So we were all still very, very young, all still living at home. Obviously from then on your life changed forever. Oh, dramatically. Dramatically. What were those next moments like after your mom said that when she got out of the car? It didn't feel real. It was like, almost like if you've ever been in a car accident, how you, things seem to go in slow motion. It seemed like everything was now in slow motion. And of course there were a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. Like who, who did it, why? Who did it, why? And we never really got a whole lot of answers. And I don't know if my mother did, and she kind of shielded us from that. But even over all these years, she's never really said much. So I don't think she got many answers either. Has that been uh, a difficult thing to take in, in terms of the healing process, not having those answers? Sure, because every child needs their father. Um, I think Mark Twain said something to the effect when he was 14 years old, he thought his father was stupid, and by the time he was 21, he was amazed at how much the old man had learned in seven years. <laughs> and we were still in that, our parents are stupid phase. <laughs> and we never got to move on to realizing that our father had a lot of wisdom that he could have given us had he been around. And he missed so much of our lives. We were just kids when he died. Mm -hmm. We never saw us graduate from high school, never saw anybody got married, never saw any grandchildren. Um, he missed most of our lives. It's been almost 48 years since that day. Just about, yes. And as far as you know, nobody has faced justice for that. To the best of our knowledge, no. No one has ever been arrested, no one has ever gone to a trial, um, there's never been anything that's come about, which is kind of amazing because in 48 years, surely someone talked, someone bragged, someone said something. Um, I mean, if those people were in their 20s, then they're almost 70 years old now. They might not even be alive anymore. So, I mean, we just like to figure out, you know, what happened? Who was involved and why did they do what they did? Was your, how long had your dad been working for Brinks in that position? He had been, we had moved to Florida in 1968 and he was a guard then. Uh, but he had worked at Brinks in Ohio for, oh gosh, since I was a little girl, uh, probably 20 years or so. So he'd been a guard and a messenger uh, and a driver, different positions, uh, with the company for close to 20 years. And it, there was never any worry in the family of that position? Did, did you ever worry that something like this might happen? No, not really. Um, I mean, Brinks has a very strong reputation. and. There aren't very many holdups of armored cars. I mean, I can't name any others. <laughs> That's true. I haven't really heard of that many, actually. I think this might be the first one that I've heard of. Mm -hmm. um, tell me, do you fear that your dad 
is forgotten or will be forgotten? As long as those kids are alive, I don't think he will be forgotten. But he has no, our, our children, our, his grandchildren have no knowledge of him. Uh, I mean, he was dead long before we were married and long before we had children. Um, so until our, all the six kids are dead, I don't think that will happen. But once that happens, yeah, he'll probably just fade into obscurity like most of us will. Do you try to bring them up as, as often as you can with the family, with, with the younger ones, the kids, grandkids? Oh yeah, my, my son knows a lot about my dad and uh, he's, I've given my son uh, several things that my dad personally gave me. Uh, but those things are very few and far between it 48 years later. Um, we were just talking about a little while ago how it, when you type in your dad's name in Google, not much comes up. No, it Is that frustrating? Um, it's kind of perplexing, actually, in a way, in that you can just about find anything on the Internet. But we realize that it's very old, and not a lot of old information has basically been digitized. So in some ways it's surprising, in other ways... No, mm -hmm. we're talking something that almost half a century ago. Right. Which is why I'm so glad that we're doing this, to make people aware that this did happen and that nobody's ever been arrested for it. Do you have hope that somebody will be eventually, or you will at least know what happened if nobody gets arrested? Uh, we'd just literally just like to know what happened and who it was and what happened. Um, at this point, uh, I don't think there's a statute of limitation on murder, so... Um, people could still potentially go to jail if they're convicted, but do I think that people will go to jail for this? Probably not. They're, they're probably very, very old at this point in their lives, too. What's your message to whoever might know something? Say something. People would want to know. Uh, if it was your family, you'd want to know what had happened. Uh, so say something. So, Diana, um, tell me about your recollection of that day and how old were you? This was June, right? 1970? Yes, it was. Um, my sister reminded me a lot that I don't remember because I was younger than she was. But I do remember a police car coming to pick up Mom, if I'm not mistaken. I don't remember how she got to the hospital. And um, then I remember her coming home saying that your father was murdered. And it was, it's like, no, he'll be home, he'll be home. And it was like for a week, it's like, he'll be home. But after a week, it was like, you knew he wasn't coming home. It was just trying to, I guess, reality set in. Were you old enough to comprehend the seriousness? Yes, I was. Yes, I was. What was it like when your mom came back home? I think it was just disbelief. It was like, it didn't happen. He'll be home. That's all I can really remember is, is it didn't happen. He'll be home. But it never came home. How have you been able to cope all these years? I guess just with your brothers and sisters and just in general, you know, you have to move on. and live your life and hope that one day something will come up about this and people will be caught or their actions back in 1970. Tell me a little bit more about your dad. Um, what kind of man was he? Um, what kind of father was he? My father was the man that was the first one out on the street playing with his six kids, playing kickball, baseball. He had six kids, so he had his own little team. And he was the first one out there playing with all of us kids, and all the other neighborhood kids would join in. That's what I remember the most about my father. He was a very loving man. So, so from what you remember, your childhood was filled with good memories with your dad? Yes, definitely. definitely. And I understand, so, um, you guys moved here to Jacksonville from Ohio? Is that, that is right? correct. Okay. That is correct. We were here three years, four years. 
little more than two. A little more than two years before the accident happened. Okay. When you started to obviously realize that your dad wasn't coming back, what were the questions that were coming to your mind when you heard about what happened to him? It's like, why did it happen? Why would someone rob a Brinks truck and kill someone? You know, for what? For money? I don't understand that. Get a job. So, I, I don't know. I just don't understand that. Describe to me what, what you felt at the time and what you feel now. Um, for example, are you angry or frustrated or what are some of the emotions that go through you? I guess a lot of emotions come up since um, this has all been brought back to light and hopefully somebody or these people will be caught for their actions, you know, 48 years ago that they did. But you just have to move on with life. You really do. But. And I know you were, very, you were very young at the time, but uh, do you remember in those early days of the investigation, uh, the police ever uh, mentioning a person of interest or uh, any pictures or any witnesses or anything like that? I know there was one gentleman from newspaper articles that was a person of interest. And I think they arrested him. And I think his last name was... That's okay. That's okay. We'll take a look at it afterwards. Okay. But so somebody was interviewed or was yes. questioned. Question. I think think he w was in jail. He was questioned, but they released him a day or two later. They didn't have enough evidence to keep him. They said. So. Did you think that uh, an arrest would come pretty soon afterwards? Was that the the thought? I would thought yes, mm -hmm. definitely. And now I mean, it happened in the middle of the day. There had to be a lot of witnesses, people in the parking lot, people coming out of the store, you think there would have been so many witnesses that they would have been found, mm -hmm. but they never were. Now almost, it'll be 48 years this year. I guess, tell me, you know, are, are you hopeful? I asked Adrian the same question, are you hopeful somebody might see this and say, I remember something from that day that might help? I hope. I hope that that does happen. Mm -hmm. I think for people that were involved, I think they've said enough things in the past 48 years to somebody else in their life that they know that these people will see this and realize that this case has never been solved and come forward and say something. And there were four suspects that held up the truck. There were three that held up the truck and what I understand, it, the lady, there was a lady that was a getaway driver. So there were four people involved. Wow. And, and I understand that your father was with a partner, so he didn't do these runs alone. Correct. Correct. He was driving that day? Yes. Okay. Yes, he was. Have you communicated with anybody um, who he used to work with through the years or no? No. Too young. I just, mm -hmm. no. How do you want your dad to be remembered? as a very loving man and caring person. He would do anything for anybody. Tell me about your mom. She had to assume the role of dad after that. How difficult was that for her? I think it was very hard on my mom to raise six kids. She was only 37 years old. And um, she raised us and did a good job doing it. But I'm sure it wasn't easy for her. I can't imagine doing it. Did she ever remarry? No, she didn't. She didn't? No. Well, no. Did she ever talk to you about if she was able to say anything to your dad before he died when she went to the hospital? I don't know. You may know. I don't know. I don't know. I know she did get to see him, but this was 1970 when Hospital rules were very, very different. I mean, you couldn't even stay overnight in the hospital with your kid. Um, so she got a chance to briefly see him and then was quickly ushered out of the room because he was hurt very, very bad. Um, 
He took a 45 round to his chest. It penetrated his pericardium and went through his lung. And pretty much what happened at that point was he was losing an awful lot of blood and blood was filling his lung. So I don't know whether he actually died from the gunshot, the damage from that, or whether he actually drowned in his own blood. Either way, it was a painful death. Oh, certainly, certainly. Do you know if afterwards, and this is just just came to me right now, but do you know if afterwards Brinks um, ever changed the security protocol for their drivers or anything like that? I wonder. I have no clue. I've been told, and uh, my son told me that I've told him what had happened, and he said that the protocol has been changed that the driver would never expose themselves because he was locked in the secured vehicle. He didn't have to open the door. He didn't have to get out. He was safe in there. And he did get out. He got out to help his partner. So as I understand it from what I, from, from the brief uh, information that I, that I saw was his partner was the one that was initially attacked, is that right? Yes. And so he was witnessing, your father was witnessing this happening. Yes, apparently what had happened was his partner, Harry Shank, was the messenger. He was coming out of the Zier store with two bags of money. And at that point, credit cards were on those little swipe things. They weren't electronic. So all those things had to be taken to be processed. So it was credit card receipts and probably some cash, but mostly just checks and credit cards. Uh, so it really wasn't something that even though it was a lot of money, probably it was, a little, I think the report was about $6,000 worth of stuff in there, but it wasn't cash cash. Checks and credit card receipts are worthless to someone who steals them. Only cash is viable. Uh, but he um, had that, he was, Harry was coming out of the store. Back then there were pay phones outside of the store. And apparently, the people who were robbing the store, or robbing the car, armored car, came out of the phone booths and caught Harry in a crossfire while he was on the apron of the store. And my dad, yeah, was witnessing all of this. And we were told that my dad was firing at someone in the parking lot. So your dad w was armed? As oh, that yes. was part of his, yes. of his job, okay. So he got out to help his friend and return fire? Yes. Yeah. And at that point, that's when he was hit. Yes, in the, in correct. The, in, the, in the shootout, it was yes. a shootout. Yeah, definitely. It was a it was a, a full blazing gun battle. I can imagine whoever, and it's a store in the middle of the day. I can imagine whoever witnesses was probably traumatized by this, watching this unfold. Um, probably. Um, I remember there were lots of of kids. Apparently, it was a lot of commotion. And apparently, people ran to the front of the store to see what was going on. So, a lot of people saw it. But I think back then, I don't think we talked about PTSD or any of those types of things. But it's one of those things that I'm sure that, you know, even as the years go by, it's something that marks, that, that marks your life that you will remember yeah. for, for years to come. So hopefully that, that'll, that, that'll um, image of such a, a violent image will jog somebody's memory. And may, maybe they might have seen something. Have um, you been back to that location since then? No. Any of no. You? no. 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 Is is your father buried here in Jacksonville? Yes. Yes, he is. Yes. He's at the Green Lawn Cemetery uh, down on beach. Tell me, you, you mentioned uh, the milestones that he missed. And Diana, I want to ask you, um, tell me a little bit more about some of the things that you wish you would have had your dad there. I mean, like my sister said, he never seen any of us graduate from high school or college, um, never seen any of the grandkids, and then there's, what, five, eight great-grandchildren that he never seen. No, no weddings, just, he missed everything. He missed everything. 
And those are big milestones where you wish your father was there, you know, to walk you down the aisle and things like that and not seeing your children and your children's children, you know. A lot was missed. How did your other siblings take it? Especially the youngest one, I believe, was nine at the time. Yes. I think he had a hard time processing it when he was little, and I don't think he processed it till he was much older. And one day I gave him the newspaper articles, and I think that's when he finally processed it and was just, he was angry. He, he just couldn't understand it. He, he did his mourning 20 years later. But yeah, he had a hard time. He had a hard time. And we were talking about how uh, your dad would have been safe inside the armored car. But is it very much like him and his character to want to help, which is why he got out? My mother said it wouldn't have been him if he didn't get out. That, that was the type of person he was. He was getting out to help his partner. That was just him. If he didn't get out, it wouldn't have been him. Mm -hmm. No. Dana, I'd like to ask you the same question I asked Adrian. What's your message to whoever's watching this and might remember something or might know the people who did this? I wish they'd report him, turn him in, so we can solve this case. I'd love to, it to be solved. I really would. What would it mean to you to see this case solved? I think it would mean a lot. I just, if they're out there and they're not in jail already for something else, they need to be put in jail. And because my father, you know, hasn't been here for 48 years, and if they're still out there living their lives, that's not right. They should be in jail. Do you fear that your father will be forgotten? Like my sister said, as long as us six kids are still around, I don't think he'll be forgotten. And I think our kids will keep him alive and around somehow and their memories because we talked about him a lot but uh, so I think he'll be around for hopefully through when our daughters and sons get 70 years old too <laughs> your mom is she still alive yes she, she is. is what would it mean to her to see this case solved I don't know I, I think she'd be very happy you know um, she thinks that they're all in jail anyway because if they did it once, they've done it again. And she thinks that they may already be in jail. If they are, you know, good, but I'd like to know that they really are. Thank you both for speaking out and being brave to talk about this because I know it's, it's a very uh, traumatic thing that happened to you at such a young age and marked your life forever. Forever. Your life was never the same after that? No, no. We are joined by Sergeant Dan Jan Jansen of the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office. We're gonna talk about the June 17th, the 1970 murder of George Swender uh, and the attempted robbery of both him and his partner that day. They both worked for Brinks. They were in an armored vehicle. Uh, so, Sergeant, this is a case that will be 48 years this June since this happened. Correct. Tell us where you are right now with looking at this case file. So, uh, we received information um, from family members. Uh, they asked us to take a look at this case and kind of dive into it and see what, see if there was anything that they, if they can get some answers as to what happened. Um, it's the children uh, of of the one, the victim in this case. His name is George Schwender. Um, we pulled the case file and started looking into it. And as you can see, I have, I have what we have here on the table. Uh, there's a lot of information that's in here, and it kind of goes in several different directions, and we started kind of sifting through it. And one of the challenges in cold cases is as you're reading information, you're learning that there's, there's evidence and photographs and things like that, that that existed back in the 70s, in 1970 when this happened in June. Um, 
and so as you're reading through it and you're learning uh, information about the case, you, you realize, and I'll give you one example, um, there were some photographs that were taken of the crime scene. I don't have those available to me in this case file, but I do have documentation that they were taken and that there were negatives in the property room. So we reached out to the property room and said, hey, do you, do you have any negatives on this, this particular CCR number that happened in 1970? And through some research, we were able to discover that we do have those negatives. So what's interesting about that, and let me get off topic for, for the investigation just a second, though. Um, the negatives that we have are not your 35-millimeter negatives that everybody is familiar with that was alive back in the day where we didn't have digital cameras. These negatives were taken from a camera that did 4x4 four four, uh, pictures, individual still pictures. And so it was probably a camera that was reaching its life's end in 1970, which means it was much older than that. And so to get these uh, negatives developed, we have to send them over to a special lab. Um, it's going to cost us per negative to get them developed. There's 33 of them, but we have to get it done, and we're going to get it done. And that will kind of help us uh, marry up the information in the case file with the crime scene photos. Now, I do have some photos that were in the case file, um, and we could talk about those in, in just a second, um, but they're not crime scene photos. So. Obviously, a lot of steps you have to take, especially with a case that is almost 48 years old. How, as you looked at, and I know you haven't finished looking through the entire case file, and as we're seeing here on the table, there's quite a lot of information. Uh, but as you look through it of what you've seen so far, how thorough were the investigators back then in 1970 to give you the information that you're looking at right now? Well, there's, there's always challenges when you, when you start going back in time. You're going to have to put yourself in, in their shoes and during that day and time, you know, there's always questions as, as to were gloves used, you know, latex gloves used to collect evidence. Are we going to be dealing with that kind of situation? Uh, in this particular case, even if there wasn't, uh, I have one uh, significant piece of evidence that we've discovered, and uh, it appears that we still have it in our possession. It's a hat, and so um, and it was identified in a property report, which, by the way, I've kind of we pulled our property report and we updated. This is a more current version of the old property report. And so when, when you, once we pull all the property, we, we take a look and we update our property report to see what we have, um, in, listed in the property was a straw hat. And of course, when I think of a straw hat, I have one image in my mind, what I think it is, and some other people have another image. And so <clears throat> in seeing that we had a straw hat, of course, I wonder where did that come from? How, why is that collected as evidence? Um, I, I can't imagine that a Brinks driver was wearing a straw hat, nor would I imagine that a, a suspect was wearing a straw hat, but maybe, you never know. Uh, and as I'm going through the reports, uh, or when I say I, well, all of us, uh, we do it as a team. Um, when we're going through the reports, we discover uh, one of the witnesses, let me see if I can pull it out for you and I'll show it to you, uh, is identified in here. Now, by the way, there was, there was eight witnesses uh, at the time to this incident. And of the eight witnesses, um, here's a list of them. Uh, so most of them were adults at the time. I got a list of all eight of them. And some of that pink highlighting is stuff that we have recognized that we want to kind of take a look at and um, identify whether these witnesses are still with us, if they're deceased or not. Um, and so um, we have eight of them here. And, and, and we have individual statements on all of these witnesses throughout this entire investigation. And so on one of them, uh, this particular one was a statement written by, or recorded by uh, Lori um, Reyes, is her name, De La, uh, I guess you pronounce that, De Las Reyes. Um, and she says in, in, the, in her entire statement, one portion of it, she says, the gunman that shot the guard in the store on the floor, is a, it was a Caucasian male, five foot nine, slender, tan from the sun, wearing off yellow rimmed hat. Check shirt, khaki pants, very scroungy looking, that's her words, uh, just like he came off the farm. I believe he may have on some tennis shoes. If I see this man again, and we, uh, we highlight this and underline, I'm sure I can identify him. He was approximately 25 to 29 years of age. So That's a strong statement. That's a strong statement, it very is. So you can see that right here. Okay. And so then when we're going through these photographs, we find it very interesting that this was taken in our property. I actually recognize that table that we have from 1970. And there's what would be considered that straw hat. So um, when, you, when you see something like that, uh, now, again, 
when you read this statement and you hear that he was wearing a straw hat and he came off the farm, you're thinking of the wide brim straw hat right. with the with the individual straw um, mm -hmm. right. yeah, woven hat type, right. you know, thing. Uh, not this. This is more of a rimmed, you know, brim hat. If, if, if that's how I would identify it. And so, Daniso has this in, in we their do, position. We do. Uh, so she says that our gunman was wearing that. So if that's the case, even if you didn't use gloves when you collected, as long as you didn't run your hand on the inside of where the hat was worn, there's a strong um, possibility that we might be able to run this for some DNA and see what we come up with. Um, and even the length of time won't impact that, The what you can gain from it? Well, I, I'm not a, I'm not a DNA analyst. Of course, the, you always have the issue of uh, the effects of time over any kind of evidence. You know, there's a lot of mitigating factors. How was it stored? You know, what, what was the day like? Now, this particular day, it was in the 90s. It was hot. It was clear. Uh, I did read that in the report. And so um, I would think that if this is stored properly, was it stored in any kind of plastic where there would be condensation? If it was stored in a paper bag, which we tend to do, um, I think we should be good. You know, uh, Potentially some... Right. Sweat remains or something like that from the sweat, right. from right. the suspect. From the suspect. Mm -hmm. And it, I, would, I would go out on a limb and say this is probably not the first time he wore that hat. You know, so uh, I, I don't think it was just a prop, especially when you listen, look at the way the, the report was written, you know, so, or her statement was written. So, so, so far, would you call that your strongest piece of evidence in this case? Uh, well, there's several, there's several strong pieces of evidence. There was several prints that were lifted. Uh, there's a palm print. Most, most importantly, that, uh, that was looked at uh, through the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. And they identified it and said, uh, didn't identify it, they, uh, they um, captured it, lifted it, and they said that the palm print is good, it's good for APHIS. Um, if, kind of like in a fair case, remember discussing that palm prints weren't collected generally as a rule back then, but on some occasions we would, in this case we did. What's and APHIS again? What does that say? Automated fingerprint informational system or okay. something like that. Identification, so it's good, it's good enough to run. system, yeah. Okay. Um, so, so it was APHIS quality, yes. Okay, perfect. And so it was submitted APHIS with no hit. And so we have a, we, we have a palm print. Um, it's just a matter of getting that identified, you know. And it might be meaning getting our hands on somebody to lift up, uh, lift a print from the palm. Mm -hmm. So... Um, there were more than one sus suspects here Correct. in this there case. Was, we believe there was three. We okay. believe there was there, there was two gunmen and uh, a getaway driver. We believe the getaway driver is most likely a female. Um, and uh, as we're going through the as we're going through this report, as and we, we kind of uh, we I have a, a detective that, that's down there and taking notes, and, and I can show you that a little bit. Um, and we we go through the report and we. We point out things that are, that are that are important to us that have changed over time, or things that we need to look at in this case. And so, um, and the hat is listed, and the fingerprints are listed, and that kind of thing. So, uh, when you, as you start taking your notes, um, you you look at it and say, okay, where are we as compared to back then? What can we do with this now in, in today's day and age? Um, and where where can we go with it? Uh, what was your question? Well, um, in terms of the suspects. Yeah, what was your last question? Because I got off. Yeah, no, it was uh, that I had read that there were more. There was oh, more than one suspect, and I did read in some of the old newspaper clippings that we were looking at uh, that one of the suspects was even charged in this case. Well, there was an individual that was charged. I can't say he was a suspect at this point. Okay. Because uh, there was an individual that was charged in the case because he was discovered with a, a bullet wound to his arm, said he was walking down Beach Boulevard. Now, this look, this happened in the 11th block of Beach Boulevard. It was a Zares department store. Um, he claimed that he was walking down the street, and he caught a bullet wound, and the next day it was discovered. And so, um, ultimately, I don't know what led to his arrest, but he was arrested. I would imagine by the fact that he said he was in the area at the time, maybe matched the description. Um, but he, he was also uh, a let go because he came up with an alibi so that he had been in Missouri at the time of this incident uh, happened. Um, I don't remember what his excuse was for the bullet wound uh, other than him saying walking down Beach Boulevard. But if you're, if you're in the area and there's a hail of gunfire, could you have caught around walking down Beach Boulevard? Sure. Um, so... I'd have to do some more research on that. His name was uh, C-A-T-O-N, Catan, I believe it was, the mm -hmm. individual yes. that was arrested. Uh, 
we've got some other people that are identified in this. Okay. So uh, that I like better as a suspect. Okay. I'm not, I can't say unequivocally at this point, without having all my evidence processed, without having all my facts together. You kind of caught me midstream in this in this particular case right. file, and so. As we're going through it, we're, we're learning. And, and, of course, we've learned, like you have, that this individual was arrested, but he was also released. Mm. So, But you're looking at possibly two other suspects that yes. you believe are... Uh, that I feel possibly. a little bit better about than mm -hmm. this individual, you know, because okay. he did have an alibi um, to a certain extent. And these so, individuals would be how old today if they do end up being your suspect? Oh, they would be pretty old. I would say they would be in their... Um, um, I don't see their date of birth here, but I want to say they'd be in their late 70s. Late 70s. Yeah. And of course, there's no statute of limitation for murder. Of course not. Right, right. And so, um, um, yeah, two, two shooters and a female uh, getaway driver. Uh, what leads us to believe that is they, we do have witnesses that identify their getaway vehicle as a white Buick. Um, and... This this is a this is what we're looking at this type of vehicle right here, and these are pictures that were taken back in the day. The, and this was their getaway car. Uh, the type of car. So the type these, of car. Okay. Yeah, both of these are the same type of car. Um, so, around the, the car was a stolen vehicle. When it was recovered, when it, when they found the car recovered, around the, the front uh, driver's door of the car on the ground were high heel marks. So. Um, they believe that those were uh, that was from a female driver, and and a witness indicates that they believe they saw a, a female driving a car. They they weren't a hundred percent sure on on that particular uh, uh, description, but but the evidence at the scene points that direction. Um, Sergeant, uh, real quick, just to, if we could go back, could you set the scene for us in this specific case? This, from what I've read. Um, sounded like a really in, intense uh, battle between the suspects and the Brinks it was, drivers. It was. Yeah, so the, the, the Brinks driver was parked outside the front of the store, um, and they, uh, the, the suspects approached the vehicle uh, from two different directions, I believe from the front and back. There was, there was a hail of gunfire. Um, generally, I think the rule for the Brinks driver was to kind of encase themselves in the vehicle because it's supposed to be bulletproof. However, um, uh, George Schwender, in this case, uh, realized that his partner was shot one time. It wasn't a fatal wound, so he got out, and uh, I believe that he was, one of them was in the vehicle, I don't remember which one it was at this point, um, and so, and another one was coming out of the store with the money uh, in bags. Now, there wasn't a lot of money in the bags at the time. Most of it was um, uh, transactional receipts, that type thing. Um, so, uh, once, the, once the robbery attempt started, um, the the one Brinks uh, individual kind of backed up into the store, and that's where we have some of the witnesses that were in the store and actually saw the gun battle start. And so, yeah, it was a hail of gunfire back and forth between the between the drivers and the suspect. And although I say the Brinks uh, uh, representatives or individuals and the the suspects in this case, and they went back and forth. So um, the statements given by the witnesses are pretty. You know, as you saw in that one particular one, pretty on point. And that kind of helps you realize that it was an intense battle that was ingrained in their memory. It wasn't somebody just got shot once and the, and the gunman ran off into the darkness, you know. Mm -hmm. That's how they remember a white Buick and that there was a female in there, that there was two individuals. And, and broad daylight. Had a, right, in broad daylight. It was, it was 3.15 in the afternoon. Um, and you know he had the, the straw hat and those type of things. So when you see that, you, you start realizing that you know it was, it was a pretty intense battle. Would um, you you wouldn't say this was a random attack? No, 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 no. Especially when you talk about a Briggs truck, um, they were this this was definitely um, I would say planned. You know they probably staked out when the Briggs was coming and what days and times. I think their timing was off a little bit. You know I thought that I think that they. Kind of, if they were going to try to pull it off, maybe try to catch him coming out. But they didn't do a good job because he retreated back in, you know. So, um, and they they didn't make off with any money, so they got nothing out of this other than a murder charge that's coming their way. Which is why it's, it's labeled attempted robbery because they didn't correct 
they right. didn't pull, right. pull it off. Right. One of the newspaper articles, and I want to read exactly what I, uh, what the, one of the newspaper articles said in this case, and I quote it, more investigation has now been conducted on the murder attempted robbery than on any other crime in the history of the city. That's what one of the newspapers said. <laughs> and is that um, a surprising statement? Or also what I thought was, wow, a lot of investigation went into trying to solve this case. And here we are almost 48 years later and it still has not been resolved. Correct. I, you know, that's a bold statement by a newspaper. Uh, I wouldn't say that, that this case received any more or any less investigation efforts than some other cases out there. And I, and I can think of several right off the top of my head. Um, uh, let's go, let's, if you want to compare apples to apples, I, mean, I, I hate to bring up the Fairfax case again. Um, but it's the same time frame. It's the same time frame. It's 74. Same thing. Uh, I didn't look, I don't remember the evidence technician in the Fairfax case. I don't know if it's the same guy or not. But on both of them, we lifted palm prints, which is not a common thing to do back then. And both of them, you know, we have a APHIS quality palm print. So, you know, the same effort has gone into both cases. Obviously, this is going to get a lot more attention in the, in the fact that it's a it's an arm, armored car robbery. You know, everybody's expecting the bad guys to get away with, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars, which didn't happen in this case. Um, and, it, and plus the shootout, you know, the, the hail of gunfire, a lot of shots fired between the four of them. And so... Um, so yeah, it's it, it definitely got a lot of attention. You can see that because uh, most cases from the '70s are maybe one quarter the size. So uh, there was a lot of work that went into it. But there are other cases where a lot of work has gone into them as well. So um, uh, that's a yeah. Again, it's a bold statement, but I don't want to say that this is the only case, and I, I wouldn't call it the crime of the century either. Um, it's kind of kind of interesting to me, though, that. We, we received the, um, the call from the family in this case on the heels of the armored car robbery that happened in Neptune Beach just recently. And the timing was uncanny. Um, coincidental, of course, but, but uh, as soon as that happened, we were, we were and, this, and it may have been the trigger for the family, I don't know, that they saw that on the news and said, hey, there's another armored car robbery in Jacksonville. Um, we don't think either one of them are connected in any way, shape, or form, obviously 48 years later. so. And Sergeant, obviously, we wouldn't be sitting here today if you didn't think this had a strong solvability factor. I have a lot of confidence in, in the evidence. I have a lot of confidence in FDLE and their abilities. Um, I like what I see. You know, uh, as you and I have spoken in the past, we have some cases where the evidence has been lost or or um, never collected or damaged or you know destroyed. Um, mid-90s we had a roof collapse in our property room and we lost some evidence in some cases there so over time the effects of time reports are lost evidence is lost witnesses deceased um, but in this particular case like uh, like several like the Joseph Davis case or the or the Freddie Farrick case or a lot of them that we're looking at um, we do have some evidence and we do have some photos we have the negatives that we want to get those processes and as soon as we get those processes it's going to be huge because we can marry those up with you know with the straw hat and the white buick and you know and identify um who these these other individuals are um, if they're still around and do some homework on them and we also we have a great working relationship with um uh, lexus nexus accurate so that's it yeah and using lexus nexus uh they're able to, one of the things that they do that's pretty unique is they're able to kind of create the neighborhood back then, okay? So the, what they do is they go historically in, in time and they, they follow the addresses back in time. You know, uh, they'll pick up the address of today and move backwards in time and see, you know, by extending out several degrees of separation who lived in that neighborhood at the time based on address, you know? Because if you try to follow the person backwards, you know, people move and, and they sometimes they don't record living in there and sometimes they, at a certain location but they're able to create the neighborhood so to speak and that kind of helps us identify things from a canvas stand, standpoint and they're they're really good at what they do so um, and, and our partnership with them uh, their law enforcement solutions um, we're able to kind of dig up the past on a lot of these individuals the witnesses and possible suspects in the, in this case even even with uh, Canton so well, we haven't sat down with them yet 
but that's kind of on our agenda, a list of things to do. I want to make sure that, you know, I, I get to see all my photos. It, you know, we developed 33 photos, and there might be something in one photo, because uh, sometimes that's all it takes. You get one photo and you say, look at this, you know, and it would be the key you know, that makes the difference. So um, we have an itemized list of things that we do. We have a case protocol. That's what this is. And so we make sure we go through our protocol and make sure that we're not dealing with hearsay or, or anything like that, that we're following um, the, the proper steps to develop this case into a prosecutable case. Um, also, having a great working relationship and partnership with the state attorney's office, uh, Ms. Nelson is fascinated with cold cases. She, she likes them, um, which is good for us. That is a cold case unit. It's good for the families. Uh, and so uh, she was, she's assigned young, det uh, young detectives, young attorneys, uh, to, to get involved in these cases with us. So we go over there, we partner, we partner up with these young attorneys, we go over the whole case, uh, and they get to learn it from the very beginning, just like we get to learn it from the very beginning. And um, it helps with the prosecution of the case, because what we have to kind of train them to do in a roundabout way is to make sure that they understand um, that we're dealing with things where at a point in time where there was no cell phones. I mean, that's easy to say, but you have to really put yourself back in that time. When you look at the cars, you know, and the technology, what was there, and how, you know, little things, you know, how, how were doors open back then, and, you know, did they have automatic doors, or did they have to push them open, you know? Oh, that matters. It yeah. does, it does. So all that comes into play, um, and with with that partnership, whether it's through LexisNexis, the state attorney's office, our our own entities, the property room, um, uh, the FBI, APHIS, and all these entities, we all come together, we take these old cases, we go through them with a, with a fine-tooth comb, and we develop them into prosecutable cases. So, but there's a lot of challenges. There really is. And I'm interested in meeting with the family. We're going to be doing that shortly after this interview. Uh, I'm sure they have a lot of questions for us. Some I may be able to answer. Some I may, I may not be able to answer for them immediately. Um, but I think at the end of the day, the most important thing is to say this, that 48 years later, we're concerned about your case as much as we were back then. Um, did the narrative get lost between then and now? I can't say that. I wasn't here you know, all 48 years. I was here 25 of them. Uh, in cold case more specifically, just recently, in the last three years. So, um, yeah, we still look at all of, all of the cases that we have back in, the, uh, in our cold case vault. And we want them to know that, that their case is as important to us as, as the other ones that we have. Action News Jack's Project Cold Case airs the second and fourth Wednesdays of each month on Action News Jack's at 530. You can also find all of our stories, interviews, pictures, and documents at actionnewsjacks.com. Just look for the Project Cold Case button. And listeners, we hope you share this podcast on your social platforms. Lorena and I also welcome your questions. Tweet us at Paige A.N. Jacks or Lorena A.N. Jacks.